Coming up next, The Bear on KCRW Berlin. This is the show that gives you a front row seat to an evening of wonderful storytelling recorded live here in Berlin. Up next is the first in a two-part show on the topic Unforgettable Firsts. We'll hear about a first kiss, a first time on the stage, and a first crime spree. Stay tuned. Welcome to The Bear on KCRW Berlin, the show that gives you a front row seat to an evening of great storytelling recorded live here in Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. So each month, The Bear hosts an event where people are invited to share stories centered around a certain theme. And each month, we bring you some of our favorite stories from that evening's show. Today's show is the first of a two-parter on the theme, Unforgettable Firsts. The true personal stories you'll hear tonight were recorded on January 17th. On today's program, you'll hear several of our favorites, and in next month's show, we'll bring you a few more. Musician Ivan Grunwald performed live. The first story comes from the Bears' founder, Diane Nyman. It's called Alles ist gut. This is a warning that I'd like to tell a story that's going to switch zwischen zwei Sprachen. Meine erste Bild von Deutschland. Blue skies. Uh, Schneegedeckte uh, Bergspitze. And at the bottom of the mountain is a cow grazing with a cowbell around his neck. Es ist eine Frau im Bild auch. Wir nennen sie Heidi. Und Heidi trägt ein Dirndl. Ein junger Mann, blonde Haar, blaue Augen. Er trägt Lederhosen, Knee-Socks und Hiking-Boots und er lächelt mich an. And this picture was on the cover of an album and my younger sister, she's 11 years old, and she's obsessed with learning German. We have a friend, she's semi-famous, Olymp- ex-Olympic uh, figure skater from Germany. And this just triggered my sister that she wanted to learn at 11 years old uh, German. Ich wollte nie Deutsch lernen. Warum Deutsch? Alle wissen, wie schwer das ist. Und wo kann man Deutsch sprechen? Spanisch vielleicht. Auf, an jeder Ecke nur so kann man Spanisch hören. Und es sollte auch nicht so schwer sein. Uh, Italienisch vielleicht. Das ist die Muttersprache meiner Mutter. Französisch, the language of ballet that I was dancing at the time so passionately, aber nie Deutsch. Summer 1990, I have a four-week URL pass und ich suche einen Strand in Tavira, Portugal und ein Mann lächelt mich an. Er hat keine Lederhosen, aber ich denke, er ist Deutsch. Do you speak English? This is Christoph. Er ist Holzauerländer, Student aus Bielefeld. Ich weiß nicht, wo Bielefeld ist. Aber zwei Jahre später entschied ich mich, I'm going to follow my heart. So my first time in Germany, it's August 17th, 1992, Flughafen Düsseldorf. 
Wir sind auf die Autobahn, die berühmte deutsche Autobahn in Christophs äh, äh, alten äh, VW Käfer. Und wir können sowieso nur, also wir, wir schaffen noch nicht 100. Ich schaue aus dem Fenster, ich sehe kein, es ist NRW, ich sehe kein schneebedeckte Bergspitze. Um, you see along the highway just the lifeless trees, Einfahrt, Ausfahrt, Autoschilder, uh, kein Lederhosen. <laughs> this is wirklich mein Bild. This is before Internet. Um, und die Frauen haben, they, they wore jeans. It was just like back home. Und nach zwei Wochen, ich habe mich gewundert, uh, wenn es in Sauerkraut oder deutsche Kartoffelsalat. <laughs> But I thought, he will Deutsch lernen. I wanted to live here and be able to assimilate into society. And I would say in English, I am learning uh, German, also the continuous progressive, because it's never ending. I think I will never get all the die, der, das's. And I don't get the umlaut. I either don't hear it, or I hear it, but I can't raussprechen. Zum Beispiel, Schon, schön. Kühlschrank, Kühlschrank. <laughs> I practice. Uh, Kuchen, Küche, Koch. This gate, yes. But in the beginning, that was the hardest. And then things like, my name is Jürgen. And I say Jürgen. Jürgen and Jürgen. Or Anne, Anne. I think Mensch is fast das Gleiche. But is this neat? Inga, Inge. Um, but I try. Ich bemühe mich, Deutsch zu sprechen. Entschuldigen Sie mich. Um, wo sind die Toiletten? The toilets are over there. Das tut weh. Also, ich habe das auf, auf Deutsch gefragt. Ich finde das, also was soll das? Or uh, das Gesicht von der Verkäuferin, das like, what did she say? This. Even now, my son, I say, uh, Dorian, wie heißt uh, the school director? Herr Siedler or Herr Seidler? To my German husband, Michael, I know a great place we can go swimming. Uh, was that Liebnis or Leibniz say? But the culmination happened in Bielefeld at the Ristorante Amici. A double date. Saturday night, I'm with Christoph and another couple. And the Italian waiter is impatiently hitting his pad with the pen, waiting for us to order. And so I break the awkward silence. And in my deutlichste, klareste, richtigste Deutsch, ich frage, haben wir Vorspiele vor dem Essen? <laughs> Stille. And then laughter. Now, the other couple, they were discreet about laughing. Aber nicht the Italianische Kellner. Ha, 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 diese Frau hier, sie, sie will, she wants to have foreplay before dinner. And really, from the, the roots of my hair, towards going all the way down to my feet, I can just feel this feeling of shame, of making a fool of myself. And this is Christoph's moment. He loves to be in the limelight. He proceeds to say in the finest details about my grand faux pas. And for the next 10 years, He would constantly speak only English to me at home and at every party switch to German and correct me in public. We are not together anymore. 
Yeah. Um, oh yeah, okay. The best part's coming. So, um, ich wollte nie Deutsch, denn ich wollte unbedingt Deutsch. Und dann ich dachte, I can't bear, I can't bear the burden of making a fool of myself. Until one day, I hear a beautiful song. Und ich frage, wie heißt das Lied? And someone corrects me, and they said, it's a lead. And I had this aha moment. I thought, yeah, that's it. German is not suffering. It's singing my own song. And I look up into the sky, and it sees blue. And in the distance, I can hear the cowbells. And I think, alles is good. Alles is good. Thanks. That was Alist Eskut from The Bear's founder, Diane Nyman. You're listening to The Bear on KCRW Berlin, and tonight we're hearing stories of firsts. Next up on this evening's program is Martin Baring. His story is called Pedro. My first appearance on stage had not been planned, at least not by me. I visited a variété show, sitting at the table in the first row, and all of a sudden, she is standing in front of me, Juliette, the young illusionist with her French accent. She needs a volunteer. I turn left, right, to spot the first one to take this invitation. I see no hands raised. She comes directly straight to me. With a winning smile, she takes my wrist, examines it closely. Without waiting for my consent, she leads me up the three steps onto the stage. I'm blinded by her disarming directness and even more by the light around me. She places me in the middle of the stage Let's my hand go and introduces me as her assistant, Pedro. The audience applauds my courage. I said already, and I, at that time I wasn't exactly the person to seek uh, public attention. But now I'm here and I don't have the slightest idea what will come next. Why, why the hell did I have to take the seat in the first row? Juliette turns to a bar table covered with a dark silk cloth. She pulls the cloth away and what comes out is a tiny mechanical device, a miniaturized scaffold with a shining blade. Impressive indeed. The, 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 the audience utters the gentle shower of Uh, the gentle thrill of expectation. She produces a carrot, a fresh carrot, puts it halfway through the rounded aperture, pulls a string, a dry knock, and the neatly cut end of the carrot falls down and rolls over the floor. Hands are clapped in uh, approval. She asks, for another and bigger applause for her assistant Pedro, for his 
determination to submit his wrist to this instrument of precision. <laughs> New, bigger applause. Her question to me, which hand I use to write with? <laughs> Just in case. I want to see you laugh if you were in my place. <laughs> Things become serious then. She takes my hand and brings it towards the, the opening. I stare at the, at the shining blade, at the reflections of all the spotlight on the, on the blade. To be honest, what made me even more uneasy than this cutting machine was being in the focus of hundreds of spectators. I, I, I suffered sort of flashback, me in front of uh, at school, in front of the class, uh, my teacher watching my awkward attempts to, to solve an equation on the blackboard. But wait a minute. Suddenly I think, it's not me. It's Pedro. And Pedro is not scared of the people. He is scared by the prospect of physical injury. <laughs> and being Pedro, I I can give way to a solid fight-flight response. I begin to struggle against her and the instrument. Uh, we, we, uh, the, our, our, our fierce wrestling um, makes, the, makes the audience boil. People start yelling in, in support of my resistance. <laughs> my, my, my mistress, um, charming so far, becomes impatient. Yeah, even angry. Her, her friendliness has changed to the rigidity of a mother dragging her child to, to, uh, to, to clean his teeth. Pedro! <laughs> Come on! It will be over in a second! <laughs> the voices around us become louder. The audience has split in two parties supporting either of us. In the end, she wins our brief struggle. I give in to my fate. I hear a knock of metal on wood. And what falls down is the end of a, another carrot that was in a hole below that one holding my hand. She releases my arm from the cutting, cutting machine and holds it up. It shows no scratches. I wipe the sweat off my forehead audience screams and applauds. My first appearance on a stage was about 30 years ago, but it changed everything. My passion had been ignited. I took, from then on, I took any opportunity to go on stage and, uh, and uh, <laughs> in slam poetry competitions and open stages uh, with the Toastmasters, with, even with the bear. Public speaking has become part of my life. This unique experience to jointly climb the heights of, of narrative tension and plunge into punchlines like, like flight passengers into air holes. <laughs> when the show then ended and all of the actors received their final applause, Juliette came back to our table and requested the ovations also for her assistant, Pedro. In the bright light, I bowed to all directions. She 
put a freshly tapped beer in front of me and whispered, you were good. <laughs> I joked. It had been quite, had been quite a time that the girl said that to me last time. <laughs> and I was happy and happy am I still when I think of her, my muse, who did not kiss me but stretch out her graceful hand to me. That was Martin Baring with his story, Pedro. We're taking a short break. When we come back, more stories of unforgettable firsts. Stay tuned. This week in This American Life, a man in China, not a journalist, just a guy, decides to see for himself the anti-government protests in Hong Kong. Makes videos, posts them online. The Chinese government is not happy. Next, he heads to Wuhan, the heart of the coronavirus epidemic. Again, spreads information that the Chinese government doesn't want out there. What happens to somebody who does that this week? This American Life, Sundays at 5 p.m. on KCRW Berlin. In Jim Crow-era Alabama, an African-American detective finds himself in the middle of a murder case. Got some leads? And? I'm following them. What are they? If they amount to anything, I'll tell you. Don't you think you can stand there face to face and sass me? John Ball's In the Heat of the Night, adapted by Matt Pelfrey, next time on L.A. Theatre Works. Catch L.A. Theatre Works, Sunday nights at 7 on KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. On the last Saturday of every month, we bring you stories recorded live at Bear Storytelling events here in Berlin. These stories were recorded on January 17th at Centrum Danziger 50 in Prenzauerberg. The theme of the evening was Premier, Stories of Firsts. The next story is called What's Wrong and comes from Eva Gunner. What's wrong? He asked me. We were standing in the middle of a field. This is the end of the 70s, a long time ago. We were both adolescents and we were on a field trip. And in those days, the field trips go, went to the German-German border because we had no idea. I'm from West Germany, so I've, we had no idea what this whole thing was about. And our teacher, our Latin teacher, decided to take us to the border. But in, in Lower Saxony, the border between Germany and Germany is just an open field. So we were basically 30 adolescents walking around with whatever they had in their head and, and in the rest of their bodies in, in a field, in an open field. And what was wrong with me? Of course, everything was wrong with me and, and nothing. I, you know, I, was, I was in love a lot. And we were talking about being in love a lot. I, I had posters of Elvis Presley in my, in <laughs> that was, that, that was that even uncool then. <laughs> I was in love with Elvis Presley. I also liked the guy from Smokey. I forget his name. And I liked the Bay City Rollers. It was, it was, I was a disaster. <laughs> and I was also in love with Norbert, I think, or somebody else. I, you know, we were always in love with, you know, this guy and the other guy and, and talking about, you know, things you did then. So... This guy who asked me that was Jörg. And he asked me what's wrong, and suddenly I 
looked into his eyes and they were brown. They were dark, concerned brown. Very cute, actually. And I said, on the spur of the moment, I'm in love. Oh, he said, who with? It wasn't him, but never mind. <laughs> you. And his reaction was incredible. He said, well, that's nice. <laughs> so we spent the rest of this field trip in this bubble of adolescent recognition of something. And this all stopped and, 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 and went away when, when he mm, took me home. And he said, very businesslike, but, you know, um, we, we, are s we are together now, aren't we? But I won't have a lot of time for you because you know I'm 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 a football player and uh, I I I'm in training most of the night so I I won't have my, uh, much time for you. Okay, I said okay. So so we spent the next three months not really knowing what to do with each other. We were sort of in love, but then what do you actually do when you're in love? And we are 13 and 14. Oh. So we walked around holding hands and taking walks. Like, you know, adults take walks when they do stuff together. So we took walks, but it was really boring. <laughs> so it was, it was we, I don't know, it was difficult to be in love and, you know, to have actually a boyfriend. So one day, well, there's another story, which is that um, I was alone most of the day because my mother was working. She was a um, uh, single mom, and I was not allowed to have anybody in the flat, and especially not boyfriends. She didn't know about the boyfriend. Boys. So, of course, I took York home with me every day, and we sort of <laughs> continued not doing what to do with each other in my room. And one day he was standing there, and... I was saying, oh, should I make some tea? And he was just standing there looking at me. And I went into the kitchen and I made some tea and I came back with the tea. And he was just standing there. I said, what's wrong? And then you know, he, he mustered all his courage of his 14 years and said, you know what's wrong, Ava. <laughs> oh God, what's, what's, what's coming now? No, no. What? Yeah. And I said, no, I don't. And I, but you know, just to be on the safe side, I put the, the, the tea away. And then I stood there and then suddenly it happened and he kissed me. <laughs> and suddenly all the awkwardness and all the thinking and all the, 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 the uncoolness just fell away. And things started making sense. It was beautiful. It was sensual. It was wet. Tongue included, by the way, first time. <laughs> it was perfect. It was perfect. And afterwards, everything became awkward again because my mother came and he wasn't supposed to be there and he had to leave as soon as possible, etc., etc. But I will never forget this moment when things suddenly made sense and I suddenly stopped overthinking. And after that, we had this teenage relationship. We broke up and came back together again. And we, for some reason I don't recall, we had to have a secret relationship <laughs> at the end. And then 
In the end, he left me for blonde Beate. <laughs> Actually, the alternative would have been that I helped him with his insurance business or something. I mean, you know, I didn't. I, 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 I don't think I would have liked to go down that road either. Anyway, this first kiss taught me, and I'm really very grateful for that, that intimacy can be safe and fun. And it's, my, it's been my benchmark all my life. Thank you very much. <laughs> You've just heard What's Wrong from storyteller Ava Gruner. Our final story on this evening's show comes from Nelson Farber. It's called My First Crime Spree. So my story is called My First Crime Spree. And as I was preparing this, I was thinking, well, what exactly is a crime? And in the first instance, you might say, well, come on, that's easy. Some official government body passes a law of some kind, and if you break that law, there are repercussions. You could go to jail, and that's a crime. But I didn't find that completely satisfying. I was thinking of a more profound daily meaning of what is a crime because the legal one, you know, look, there are plenty of good people who just fall into crimes without even knowing they're committing them, and there are monsters that get away with it because it isn't officially on the books a crime. So I came up with a working definition of a crime, which is very simple, that if you know something or if you feel something in your heart is wrong and you do it nonetheless, that's a crime. So with that background, I'd like to confess to you that my life of crime began the summer before I entered kindergarten. <laughs> I was living in Baltimore, Maryland at the time. Um, near an army base. My dad had just come back from Vietnam, and we're living in this series of garden apartments. And I remember it was summertime, late summer, August, and it was a scorcher of a day. And I went outside, there were all these like little kiddie pools, and a couple of houses down, um, there was this um, adorable girl blonde hair, blue eyes, just the sweetest, most angelic little creature that you can imagine. Her name, Diane, by the way, was Heidi. So Heidi figures twice this evening. That really was her name. So I go up to Heidi, and Heidi asks, can you take this bucket of water and fill it up so I could put my feet in them? Oh, <laughs> I was thrilled. My, my heart was warm. My little blood pressure was beating. <laughs> Heidi had asked me to fill up water to bring to her feet. <laughs> so I went, I took the pail, I filled it up. I was standing by Heidi, and I don't know this happened to this day. I can't fully explain it. I took the pail of water and splashed it on her face instead. <laughs> Getting back to my definition of a crime, I did know it was wrong. But in that instant, I just did it. And she started crying, and I ran home after I 
did this terrible thing and I confessed it immediately to my mother and she very practically said, well, there's only one thing that you could do. You go back to Heidi and you apologize. Okay, because I'm terrified. So I walk back and she's sitting outside and I say, Heidi, I'm sorry. And she goes, you know, that's okay. But can you fill up the bucket again? <laughs> and I really want to put my feet in the water. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a second chance. So I go over. I'm putting the water in the bucket. But my young mind starts to turn. I'm coming, Heidi. I'm coming. <laughs> Only this time, it wasn't just the impulse. I thought about it. I struggled with it. Then, <laughs> she bursts out crying. And then she says the word that terrifies a kid in this situation more than anything else in the world. Daddy! So I'm, I'm a criminal now, and she's calling her father, and I see that there's this bush behind me, this big bush. So I run, and I hide in the middle of the bush. Meanwhile, I hear from outside, oh, I don't see anyone. I don't see anyone. Daddy, daddy, the bush. I make myself smaller. <laughs> he comes closer. My heart is racing. And then I hear those great words, no one's here. And they go off. I got away with it. Fast forward two months later. Halloween. Or I should say a couple of days before Halloween. So I'm with my mom and dad over some new friends, and there's these really cool new kids. One is my age, and then there's a middle kid, a son who I looked up to, and there was a daughter, an older daughter, like sixth grade, with like long hair, really beautiful. And they had the coolest games. Now, I'm dating myself, but they had like Tippet, <laughs> Operation, Battleship? Do any of you guys know these games? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's really like a time warp. But then one of the kids who was my age said, why don't you come over for Halloween? And I said, yeah, I'll be here Halloween. Great, thanks for the invite. Cool, man. I didn't quite say it in those terms. So then I got home, and I said, oh, guess what? I'm going over Halloween to so-and-so's house. My mom says, no, you're not. Okay, I didn't realize that before making these arrangements, I had to check with my mother. But I had made this commitment. So Halloween comes, and I have this choice to make. My mother had laid down the law that I'm supposed to come home, I'm supposed to be on the school bus, but now I'm armed with a ferocious power of free will. I don't go on that school bus. Instead, I go to my friend's house. 
I committed another crime. <laughs> That's the crime spree, the third crime now. So, <laughs> so fortunately, the maid recognizes that someone is there who shouldn't be. But for my mother, the way she tells the story, it's absolutely harrowing. She looks in the school bus under everyone's Halloween mask, and there's no Nelson. So finally, she gets this phone call. She picks me up. And this time, the law was swift and stern. I didn't get away <laughs> with it. In, in, instead, I got uh, quite the whipping, if <laughs> I recall. Um, so yeah, I, I guess what's the, le the, the lesson in that? I'm not sure who we are. Are we that initial instinct to do the wrong thing? Or are we more the reflected, civilized sort that has us not committing crimes? I don't know, to be honest. Um, I guess maybe there's no one self. Now, the title of my story, though, you might be asking, my first crime spree, <laughs> uh, are we going to hear about the second and or the third? Um, and I don't know, maybe there is no second or third crime spree. And it was just, I thought, kind of a cool title. Or maybe there is, but that will have to wait for another bear. Okay, thank you. That was my first crime spree from Nelson Farber, our final storyteller for this evening's show. These true personal stories were recorded live at the Bear on January 17th in Prenzlauerberg. Remember, this was the first in a two-parter, so don't forget to tune in the last Saturday of March at 7 p.m. for more stories of unforgettable firsts. The Bear was created by Diane Nyman and inspired by The Moth. You heard live music in this evening's show from Yvonne Grunwald. Our show's theme is I Need Love, remixed by DJ Spectre. If you'd like to tell a story or attend the next Bear Storytelling evening, go to kcrwberlin.com slash thebear for more information. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Thanks for tuning in.